This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. T. Earl Grey, hot. It's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Philip Gilfus, sitting in the center chair this week. I'm joined by my co-host, Cardassian War veteran, Chief Daniel Prue. Daniel, um... How come you never talk about the war? Uh, Philip, I think you know why I don't talk about the war, and I think, honestly, it's a little too soon for you to even be asking that question. And what was, what was that song you used to sing me? That song is only for the people that were there, Philip, and you need to stop asking these questions. Oh, I thought it was from, like, uh, West Side Story. Anyway, um, I'm also joined by my other co-host, standing behind me as always... Lieutenant Darren Moser at Tactical. Uh, Darren, w- what kind of battle drills will you be running today for the crew? I'm I'm sorry, Philip. I just can't go along with this anymore. Uh, I'm going to have to relieve you of command, and uh, it's just you're, this podcast is going against the Starfleet Charter too much. Don't don't make me shoot you, Philip. I I I swore an oath to uh, to our Patreon uh, <laughs> contributors, and I just. I, I, we need to get to an escape. I need to get to an escape pod. This is this is too much. Oh, ensign babyface, you still have so much to learn. <laughs> um, but don't worry. Once you get that beard, Darren, you'll you'll start to figure out how things go. Uh, well, as folks probably can't tell, um, tonight t- tonight's topic or today's topic or in any time where you're listening to this topic, it is war and the next generation. Um, I know some people might be asking. What is it good for? Well, that's what we hope to answer here during this episode. Um, Three seconds in, and we got the joke. That was a I was record. about to shout it out. I was like, no, I'm going to wait. I think he's going to go there, and then he went there. So <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I know. And I actually have a card game we can play after we're done here. Um, but, you know, first, thing, I, I just want to talk about uh, comparing it to the other Star Trek series. Because, uh, of course, we always talk, talk, talk about the entire Star Trek universe here. Um, so first, you know, the, the original series... I don't know whether they called a cold war or a hot war with the Klingons, but there was there was something with the Klingons, um, certainly in TOS, and you had a, a I don't know a cold war with the Romulans, and that was about about as much as you got, just kind of blatant going to war in, in the original series. Um, Deep Space Nine, did, see, did that have any war? Oh, it was the entire half of the series. Now that I remember. <laughs> um, so yeah, you had the hot war with the Dominion, um, and then with the Klingons as well, and it, it actually sort of began. With not a war, but almost a cold war with the Cardassians, even though we were at peace, but certainly more on that later. Um, Voyager certainly was at war with every single person they met. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, maybe maybe the way Janeway hailed just really wasn't, you know, the universal translator that Indiana um, 
accent just doesn't work with the Delta Quadrant species. And Enterprise, did that have any work? Oh, also half the series, now that I remember. Yes. <laughs> the Temporal Cold War, how could we forget? <laughs> That's right. So you know, then you had Temporal Cold War. I'd actually forgotten that one. Yeah, Temporal Cold War. And then you had the actual war of the Zindi. And then Klingons being Klingons. Um, and so that, that's pretty much how we, that's, so that's where we are. So, so TNG, how does it, how does it compare? So, um, the first kind of enemy quote unquote is actually, I think there was an episode called the enemy that they were in. Um, and this is, um, the Romulans. And so if it wasn't I, clear woo-hoo! enough, yeah, so, the name of the episode is the enemy. That's right. So I'm going to go to our resident Romulan expert, Darren. Well, oh, thank no, you. I mean, I mean, oh, no, no, no. no, no. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, Daniel. For, uh, so, I'm a fan. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I have As some a, uh, some notes, but you can ignore them. But so, like, Daniel, how would you sort of what what are our relations with the Romulans in the next generation? And and you know, as far as war goes, how do you characterize them? Well, certainly it's not. Well, I mean, well, okay. It, it, that's a complicated question, especially because in the first season, essentially, it it's explicitly stated in that one episode, you know, we're back and we're dangerous again now, like because there's been this seventy five year silence essentially from, from you know, between the the Federation and the Romulans, um, but it never really heats up beyond the possibility of war. Um, it is, so it's very much a cold war. It's very much this kind of, well, you know, we could do this, or maybe we won't, or maybe we'll go to war because you're in the or the neutral zone, or we're in the neutral zone. But it's always like, in TNG especially, you always get the sense that the Romulan Empire is an equal match for the Federation and could be a serious threat to the Federation, but... You know, I don't mutually assured destruction. I don't know if that's what it is, but it's just like maybe it's not worth going to war for the quadrant or whatever. Yeah, I mean, who would go to war over a quadrant? No. <laughs> oh. Well, then no one goes for, to war over the beta quadrant. I mean, <laughs> it is never mentioned at all. It's literally half the Federation, but you know. that's because well, and and I was gonna say that's because uh, the Romulan Empire is mostly in the Beta Quadrant, if I remember correctly. So they 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 don't need to to go to war over that quadrant. I'm trying to think on the risk board. Where would the Beta Quadrant be <laughs> that nobody really wants? I mean, maybe like it's um, the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> maybe it's like Europe, because there's just so many places you have to defend on that map. It's easy to just do Australia and then maybe get in through Africa and South America. I don't know, but anyway. Um, but Darren, what, well, what about the Romulans? Well, What's up with them? Huh? Comparison What's up with them? With what? What's up with them? The Romulans. What's up with them? Yeah. What 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 be up? Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> you tell me, my bae. <laughs> well, one of the things that Daniel just said made me made me think, you know, look at the big differences between the Romulans and the Klingons, just in the fact that uh we haven't fought either of them in about seventy five, like a long like a long time. Uh, I'm not sure the years exactly of the Klingon, you know, peace treaty, but, but the big difference is, you know, with the Romulans, we haven't fought them, but we haven't seen them. I mean, we haven't even gone near their turf. Whereas, you know, with, it's almost like they had a cloak or something. Of some sort. Uh, <laughs> but the Klingons, you know, we haven't fought them uh, as far as like seeing their tactics or, or things like that, except for, you know, except for when Picard just mixes it up and then all of a sudden civil war is going on, you know. Oh, just... Darren, Picard is a man of peace. Everyone knows that. <laughs> he doesn't doesn't ever throw a punch. He doesn't ever fire a phaser. I think that is clear in The Next Generation. Well, but, but, yeah, uh, 
Go ahead, Daniel. I was just going to say, you know, just talking about it and, and you bringing it up, Darren, like, it, it, it kind of occurs to me that, that it's a bit of a soft reboot in TNG for, for the Romulans, right? Where it's like, and when we first see the Romulans in TOS, it's like, we haven't seen them. And there's a possibility of war. And then, like, when we get to TNG, it's like, we haven't seen them. And there's a possibility of war. <laughs> and, like, so it's, like, it's interesting because they kind of, like, pick – they set that up in TOS and then don't really play around with it. We only get one other episode, essentially. But in, in TNG, that's kind of the starting point where it's, like, the same exact point we were in in TOS where there was hostility before – and then we didn't see them for a long period of time, and now they're a threat again. It's the same kind of thing, and I've never really thought about it, but it kind of mirrors the... Even though we don't get as much of it in TOS, but it, it definitely mirrors the TOS-Romulan storyline as well. So you're saying that when you think of Romulans, you almost think that they serve as a mayor, because... <laughs> I'm, I'm a mirror to you, too. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's really... That's true, Daniel, that it does the, the, almost the exact same spot we are, but... Except for this time, they're like, hey, by the way, we're also in this ginormous ship that is like twice the mass of your flagship, by the by. You know, That's no don't bird. mess with us. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but it's it's a very interesting, you know, relationship. And I think because of the secrecy, you know, the times we do see the Romulans, I mean, we get like the Defector, we get a whole bunch of great interactions with the Romulans. And, uh, you know, while I don't think they were ever fully explored kind of like the Cardassians eventually were, but you know, these little glimpses, like they just kept the veil a lot more, which is, is one way to play it, but it maybe wasn't the most cinematic way. Yeah. Because one thing that really struck me about the Romulan storyline, and I feel like, and I may be making this up because I'm just defensive, but I always feel like a critique of TNG is like, Oh, they were peaceful all the time. You know, the other, the other series had conflicts, but I don't, but like the one thing that struck me about the Romulan storyline, because there was a Romulan storyline, um, or like the enemy and the defector are like bookends. Um, but like the defector, if I remember this correctly, like the defector, if people don't remember this episode. It's about the defector. It's in the title. Um, we're not. They're like, really clear cut with the TNG. We're not like other yeah. series. They don't hide the ball. Um, but like you know, so you have the def- defector, uh, Admiral Jarok, um, and you know he says there's a secret cloaked base. Um, I don't know if it's in the neutral zone or in Romulan space. I think maybe it is in Romulan space. And so the Enterprise, you know, goes to Romulan space and surprise, it's Tom Alok. He has a party. Um, but like one thing that when Picard's making that decision about whether to trust and make that risk, and then when they actually do start going towards the Romulan, you know, side, you know, there, to me, if I remember correctly, there's almost this scene, maybe two scenes, where, like, Picard tr- is trying to, or Patrick Stewart and, you know, John Picard, are trying to sort of give this heaviness that, like, I'm making a decision that could launch us into war, or I'm making a preemptive strike that may prevent war, and it's and it could be both, and, like, there's sort of this heaviness that I feel like where he's like, we could be in war in 24 hours, and it's sort of like she's trying to sort of press the seriousness of what what that means. It's it's, I mean I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have a bad historical allegory right now. I mean I don't know if it's if it would, could be like a Pearl Harbor or could you know what what but that decision like I'm about to do something that could change the entire you know people could die millions of people billions could die about what I'm about to do. But I don't they, know. Is he about they, to they, murder the Archduke Romulan? <laughs> the Archduke. Rom- no, he would be a sub Archduke. Um, oh, but, yes, but, but, sub 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 praetor. <laughs> Yeah, but no. There's, there's actually. I'm just when you were talking, Philip, I was thinking. It, there's a, an explicit scene right where Picard lays that out, like, "Hey, guys," 
uh, we mess up here and it's war. Like, and it, and that's what I like about it. I, that's what I like about the Romulans is, and and another thing that I like about the Romulan storyline in TNG as well is is the is that it's not isolated. Um, I like. I don't necessarily like all the Klingon stuff they do, but the Romulans are always involved with kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's never a simple bad guy, good guy thing. It's like, here's the Klingons and there's this civil war and maybe the Romulans have their hand in it. Maybe they don't, maybe they're, you know, behind the scenes pulling the strings. And, and, and it's like always interesting to see, like, it's not just two parties doing something, but there's always kinds of different people, you know, it's, it's international politics essentially. And it's really, it's kind of interesting to see that in TNG. I think a lot of people kind of forego that, but if you watch the, the Romulan storyline for, you know, from the beginning to the end with an interest in the Romulans, it's like, Hey, they're, they, they could be the ones kind of manipulating everything or, or, or at least influencing things. Well, one of the things that it made me think of is, I mean, imagine, remember in the beginning of TNG, they're writing the new Bible. And so the, what if the Romulans had been the ones we're at peace with and there's a Romulan on the ship instead of a Klingon? I mean, that could have just as easily happened. I mean, I know the Klingons were used more, uh, you know, in, in TOS, but and I guess were more popular. But really, there's, there's no reason they couldn't have done that. You know, oh, instead Worf of, could have been a Romulan. Instead of the sash, would he just have shoulder boards under his uniform? <laughs> Well, because they changed the look of both the 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 those creatures. I mean, again, the Klingons had changed a little bit in the in the movies, but uh, but Romulans and Klingons look different in TNG than they did in TOS. Yeah. Well, well I was just gonna well, see. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I, this is just an aside, so it doesn't actually even really matter. But th- I was gonna say this is why it was so disappointing in Deep Space Nine, and, and this is not a controversial opinion by any stretch of the, of the mean. Of the I don't know, the Daniel Prue opinion. I know, I know. <laughs> usually, usually it's a little, a little, but no, no, but everybody, I think, thinks like, hey, the, the Defiant has a cloaking device. We should have a Romulan around. Like, that makes sense, and then the Romulan disappears. But that could have been, like, man, like, if Deep Space Nine had a Worf character, like, imagine yeah. that, you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, a Worf-like character, you're saying? Yeah, I mean, why have a Worf-like character where you could just have a Worf character? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like, because I'm doing my Deep Space Nine rewatch, and I'm, I think I'm pretty much near the end of season four, but it, like, it, it's funny because we start, well, it's not season four, but season three, like, it's like, you know, oh, we got to have the Romulan, and that lasts, what, an episode or two. And then it's like, even later in the series, it's like, oh, wait, you know, we're in the Alpha Condor, we're going to use the cloak, wait, should we do that? Well, it's it's really, it's only because it's a really important mission, Let's can we do that? Let's just throw that rule. <laughs> Right and then, like, season the four, they're like, Alpha Quadrant Cloak. Yeah. All right, <laughs> that's just what we do now. And imagine it's, how it's, interesting it's it would have been. torpedo count. <laughs> and imagine how interesting it would have been, like, to see Worf have to deal with a Romulan on the bridge. Like, we, we as TNG fans here, we know how he feels about the Romulans. She could have gotten shot on the bridge and Worf would saved her. I know. Yeah, There's no blood just... transfusion happening with Worf aboard. And that could have actually been a really interesting storyline. Like, maybe Worf would have to come to respect this Romulan. But anyways, whoa, I'm way off topic here. Sorry, Philip. No, no, no. no it's good. And uh, one of the things that strikes me about... Anyway, I don't know. We, we don't often go this deep, but I'm, I'm thinking about it because, you know, this is not news to anyone, but TNG is, what, 87 to 94, you know, and it's an American show, you know, written-wise, but written by Americans. And so this is sort of an interesting or, or, or 
unique period in American history because this is basically fall of communism, fall of Soviet Union, basically. That's that, that. And then nothing, you know? I mean, like, as far as, like, who's, who's the American enemy? No one? I mean, really? Like, if you had to ask an American between 87 and 94, like, uh, Wasn't that, things? like, Desert Storm and stuff like that? Yeah, in those, that would have been the 90s. But, yeah, so, but you sort yeah. of had the, like, you know, the small, like, oh, there's the Ayatollah from the... 79 but and no there's the Russia. you know there's, yeah there's no like you know it's like between you know evil you know quote unquote evil Russia and then you know post 9-11 you know that's this is sort of the in-between period where it's like because you know because then I'm trying to think who are we modeling these characters you know TOS modeled the Romulans modeled the Klingons and I don't know if there's any necessarily any modeling of these characters, but it does strike me as an episode that we all love, both we, the three of us, and we, hopefully everyone listening to this, as a as a metaphor. But it, nowhere where this made sense in the 90s, but it works now, is Drumhead, because that is a Romulan mm. storyline, even if there's actually... There is a Rom. No, he's a Klingon agent. But anyway, he's one fourth Romulan. Yeah, okay. I know. Yeah, <laughs> and so like the, the Romulans don't even show up, but they're still that much of a threat. That they drive this sort of conspiratorial—I don't even know what to call it—you know, whatever drumhead, um, you know—that that sort of leads to this whole spiraling out of fear from an unseen enemy, right? Because it could be anywhere. Yeah, I'm thinking of those like propaganda posters people have made, where it's like you could be talking to a Romulan, you know, loose lips <laughs> sink starships. <laughs> I've never trusted the Vulcans, and I never will. I can never forgive them for that one. Um, How long were you standing at that door, Philip? <laughs> long you know, enough. Is there a reason why we never see, um, and I am so can't believe I'm blanking on her name, um, the Vulcan Doctor after a couple episodes? Is there a reason why she, maybe a little unification reason why she has to leave the Enterprise? It's Dr. Salar, Philip, yeah, is that who you're talking about? You know, maybe, maybe <laughs> she had to go home, hand quotes, you know. Hey, we do, we, we have our own, techni- you know, technically anti-propaganda, anti-Romulan episode with the drumhead, so it's, this is exactly right. We, we have that whole attitude in the Federation. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, I mean, like, we, we never, there's always that threat of war, and then it kind of, the bow tie, or ribbon, or... I don't know, vomit, whatever you want to call it, of Nemesis that you have um, is, is you know, but this sort of ties that bow between the Romulan threat story because, you know, this, this we're going to peace. We're finally going to have peace with the Romulans. No more neutral zone, right? And, you know, after many misadventures, um, apparently, you know, it, it, that's sort of, I guess, you know, along with everything else that sort of kind of ends next generation on, uh, yeah, that big threat we had, we're, we're, we're going to peace with them now. Well, the well but let's also not forget... That the Romulans are responsible for the JJ-verse. That's true. So, and that, those are the TNG Romulans because Geordi was dealing with them and there's all sorts of TNG connections there. So we can't forget that we're, we're technically responsible for that. So you're, I'm sorry, welcome. <laughs> See, and I was, I was always confused by, you know, how everyone was just tripping over Romulan ale. Like it was this great thing. And I'm like, if I was a Romulan, I'd be like, this... It's just from this one province. Like, why does all humans... It's like, you know, a Romulan being like, oh, wait, oh, wait, can we have some Kentucky bourbon? It's like, well, that's not the drink of the planet, but I I guess we could have some. It's like, oh, yes, it's very rare here in Rom. It's like, you know, it's just this, this drink that... Did some guy corner the market in his province, you know, the southern province of, uh, you know... 
of Romulus, of Romulus, and now he became known as the drink of the Empire. I mean, that's a pretty good uh, that's a good sales pitch. Well, well, Darren, there's a there's a phrase when translated into English that c- comes about ninety miles south of this country that says sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. I mean, you know, it's like on the island of Cuba, they're like it's it's just a cigar. Why? Why? I mean, if you want one, sure, I'll sell it to you. I don't I don't see what the big deal is, but. Okay. <laughs> and he's like, Romulan Ale, and that's all we ever hear about. <laughs> Something that's illegal. Apparently everyone has it. It's, I don't know. <laughs> the, the laws of the future are somewhat different than apparently. Hey, in the 24th century, open relationships and illegal things are not illegal. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, another uh, warlike enemy, um, which I, I think sort of... Ah, oh wait, sorry, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not not the Cholnoth, um, it, or the Noskins, but um, it's the Borg, of course, um, and what I sort of wrote is the post Wolf Three Five Nine Federation. Of course, that's me not being clever at all, trying to be a post nine eleven world. Um, but uh, you know th- what? How not only you know fighting the Borg itself, but you know in that sort of drumhead analogy, how does that change the Federation? Like, are we at war? Like, I remember. This is going to be a dumb story. I remember being in law school once, and I was one of my classmates. Um, you know, I'm a Iraq veteran, and one of my classmates had lost her husband uh, in Afghanistan. Um, but we're, they were getting contracts class, and the professor's trying to do like a make an, a metaphor of like things either are something or they're not something, like an X or a Y. And he's like, you know, you're either at war or at peace. And, you know, right now we're at peace. We're not at war. And like she and I kind of look at each other and like – well, let's see. Um, she lost her husband, and I uh, went to a war, so I don't know what peace you're talking about here. And peace killed her husband, and peace took me to here. another to another country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, but but I mean, that's in America here, and again, not. To, but, but like you know, only two percent, one percent, less than one percent fight in a war. So it's like, are we at war? So in the Borg, in the Pulse Wolf three five nine, like, is the Federation at war or what? Well, so it, okay. So what's interesting to me. I don't think there, especially as far as I know, of course, in American history, there's no direct parallel to what happens at Wolf 359. Like, so, you know, at the time, of course, we would compare it to, to Pearl Harbor and then after 9-11. It's easy, it's, it's easy to jump to that comparison. Um, but the thing is that I, I guess the idea there is that, that both of those things were surprise attacks, things that we didn't know were coming. This the, Here's an attack that we... we at least had enough time to prepare for where all of our we could gather our defenses and try to stop them and still completely failed so like you know that mars defense perimeter was a joke (laughs) i'm just saying (laughs) i mean absolute joke i I bet you there's an architect's architect's (laughs) drawing of the mars defense perimeter that looks so like badass and everything guys we're in phase one in about three more years this is gonna be oh oh they're here oh well um Let's just send these shuttles. They're formidable shuttles. And instead of an actual perimeter, it's just a line between you know two craft. But it's it like uh, the marginal line of the Federation. <laughs> but you know, it's so it's it like it's hard to think of a, like a parallel where like so without getting too political because I you know I don't want to do that. But but you know we see america's reaction are you saying the federation president didn't read his presidential daily briefing about the threat of the borg (laughs) but he you know he you know we we see what we have done you know in reaction to 9-11 and how that's changed the country and and agree with it or don't agree that that's fine that's not the point the point is imagine how much change that affected 
from something that we were completely, well, I think regular Americans were completely unprepared for. Imagine if, if we had every resource at our disposal to prevent that event and still couldn't do it. I would imagine that that would affect changes much, much larger because people would get even more scared and even more paranoid and even more like, oh my God, what do we do? Like, we can't stop the Borg. I guess apparently, you know, it turns out all you got to do is throw Janeway at them and they'll all explode. But uh, we didn't know that at the time. So, I mean, I just, it would have been, it is interesting because we don't really get to see too much of the fallout of, of Wolf 359 and the Borg um, in TNG. Um, and really, I mean, honestly, not too much of it in, in the later series either. Uh, but I, I do think it would have had fundamental changes, I Wait, think, in the Daniel, Federation. You're not saying there's a whole series that follows TNG that's based on the exact events of Wolf 359 as the beginning? <laughs> really? That's not... Well, doesn't well, jog well, your memory I, any? I know, but I see what Daniel's saying. I'll give you a number. Saying, saying there's a number they, show, they show the, the f- attack, but they don't show, like, what's yeah, Earth-like. I, I, you know. I don't think... I don't think uh, they, they deal show with the, the dead because, body, Daniel. How much do you want? card. <laughs> Wait, doesn't the title card say like three years later or something like that? Like that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's we missed it right there. I'm pretty but, sure there's, okay. a, there's like one or two references to the Borg in Deep Space Nine after Emissary, and that's it. They didn't want to touch that with a ten foot pole. Oh, that's true. Well, okay, I'm I'm still I'm still hung up on this defense perimeter because <laughs> it's like why put a defense perimeter around a planet? What if the Borg were coming from like the other side of the sun? <laughs> well, or, like, the I don't know, line. above above the you know the plane, not the galactic plane, but the plane of the solar system. It's like, well, darn, they didn't fly by that planet. Guess uh, the defense perimeter didn't do squat. No, no, no. My favorite is that you know not only was the subcontractor it took too long, like it originally <laughs> was supposed to be the Earth defense perimeter because that's the planet we're trying to defend. <laughs> and he's like, "All right, I put it out here on the on the fourth planet." Is oh, hold on, hold on. Did you say fourth planet? Yeah, you know we're the third planet. <laughs> Oh, I knew that. Uh, I, I, I knew that. <laughs> I mean, if I just put Mars instead of Earth, it really. Uh... Yeah, it well, yeah. I mean, at least Starship Trooper had it right, where they built the ring around the moon. That's a defense perimeter, okay? Well, that's no moon, Darren. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. <sighs> well, you know, one thing that that to me that the Borg threat and and the post Wolf three five nine thing that I'm making up or trying to push is that um in and I'm trying to remember like there's only so many Borg episodes so I know this has to be right but it just doesn't seem like it's right. There's um, more Borg episodes in Voyager than no, there no. are. <laughs> I know, but like it seems because dis- I want to say it's something between Iborg and Descent, but there's nothing between those two, so it's Descent Part One. It's the one where Necheyev um slaps Picard around um, for what he did in Iborg. Um, and yeah. you know, because you know, I think that's to send. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, even even Iborg, we want to go all the way, like, go back to Iborg first. You know, where Picard has this basically using um, biological weapons. I mean, if I want to use that phrase um, against the Borg, you know, because the Borg threat is so that that big. And then you have that Beverly, like, well, there's been no formal declaration of war, and we're all like, that's ridiculous because you can't do that. Um, which is, I'm talking about. This is the sort of this new enemy. But then in in Descent, you have Necheyev saying, you know, you made the wrong decision. You have the Borg. You have a chance to kill them. You do it. That's what we do. Um, and then, you know, Picard then lashes out at Riker because all bad things float downhill. That's how it works. Um, and he's has something like the moral thing to do is not necessarily the right thing to do. Um, and so you just like, you know, is the Borg that big of a threat? And this is the age-old question. How big of a threat has to be big for you to compromise, you know, rules? That's a, that's a good point, Philip, though, because if you, except for like, 
sheer mass and like firepower, how big of a threat really are the Borg? Because they get, I mean, inside their infrastructure is incredibly vulnerable. I mean, the way they took them down in Best of Both Worlds and the damage they'd done with Descent and what they could have done with, uh, you know, Iborg. It's like, you know, except, and they always just send one cube. I mean, they're, are they actually really that it's big not even a tactical of a long-term cube, threat? It's not even a tactical say, um, cube. Unless you're Voyager, <laughs> well, you know, you're going to choose cubes. cubes. You're going <laughs> to choose a capital cube, right, Daniel? <laughs> It, 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 this is why, okay, this is, well, essentially, Wolf 359 is, is it's not just me, and a lot of people ha- have the way that that, it's dealt, that the Borg are dealt with in Voyager, but it's like you, it, I, I don't know, I mean, maybe it's just size and firepower, but I mean, technologically speaking, the, this, this species is so far ahead of us, it's like so far advanced. That like they took down the whole fleet. Like there was there was nothing left except little baby Jake and and little Cisco, and that's it. And and that's it. That that, that was what was left of the fleet of the entire fleet. All, like I can't remember off the top of my head how many ships were destroyed, but that's why they're so intimidating, and that's why like even in TNG we don't deal with them directly again. You know until first contact, um, and then again it's the same thing. It's one cube. The whole fleet, and even the sh- tiny baby, little baby ship that you designed to fight the Borg gets almost destroyed. So, like, like I don't understand. Like, this would change everything in the Federation. It is. It's an interesting kind of uh, hypothetical for sure. I mean, I, c- I can see Shelby. You know, when when she's uh, you know pushing around those admirals um, and getting, cutting through the thick of it. And, you know, she'd just been reviewing her late 20th century television program, Home Improvement, and, and she's like, you know what this ship needs? More <laughs> power! Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> wait, wait, who's going to be, um, who's going to be Wilson? Heidi ho there, neighbor, in, uh, in that scenario. Uh, it's the Breen, because you never see their face. <laughs> okay, it says uh, in the Battle of Wolf 359, 39 starships were lost with a total yeah. loss of 11,000 lives. Yeah. Melbourne. Um, it the says Saratoga? many people were assimilated, which I guess wouldn't really... I mean, only saw Picard lost. assimilated, I'm just saying. Quote, unquote. Um, that's, but, a lot uh, of sh- the- that's a lot of starships. Yeah. Well, and that's what's so interesting about space warfare in in Star Trek is it's like your ship's kind of either like going fine or you take a direct hit and it's like you're just all dead. There's like not a lot of middle ground, it seems, especially when you're fighting the Borg. It's like, okay, you know, I'm going to sweep. Okay, sweep around, you know, USS Yamaguchi. uh, Boom. Okay, now (laughs) you just lost like a thousand people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it's just. I don't know. It's and Picard saw all of it, but <laughs> yeah, and 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 I wasn't even thinking about the Lucutus aspect of war. But like, I mean, one thing I want to touch on it, even go pre Wolf three five nine to a Q who, you know, this this and I may be mischaracterizing it, so y'all can correct me. But like this peaceful vision of the Federation in in you know uh, season one, season two, as we're telling these new stories of Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Next Generation, and then you have Q who, which basically you know we. This Borg, you know, this thing just killed, I forget how many people, you know, a dozen people or two dozen people or however many it was, you know, and Picard's like, okay, enough fun and games, Q, and like, nope, they're dead. They're, that really happened. Oh, yeah. They're really <laughs> dead. Like... That's That that happened. Um, and so it's, it sort of disrupts that, you know, this isn't a peaceful 
world and peaceful galaxy. We're at war. Um, yeah, so, but yeah, I didn't even think about, I mean, I don't even know what parallels to say, but I mean, because the whole point, you know, that TNG didn't have this direct, you know, well, it's time to go lead the fleet against the, you know, Borg fleet or what, you know, it, we experienced these, this sort of different kind of war in TNG, and and so I think the Borg definitely represent one part of that. Um, now, another war that actually happened, that totally happened, 100%, oh, totally happened. 1% happened, that, I mean, is an, an actual war war that happened in TNG. Like, you know, if you have your season one Blu-ray, if you look at that extra, um, <laughs> you'll see it, is the Cardassian War, which totally happened um, during early TNG seasons. I mean, what, what's your, Daniel, what's your favorite Cardassian War episode from early TNG? Well, you know, one thing that I, I – I'll answer your question in a minute, Philip, but one thing I really want to mention is, is I, it's called the, the Great Handlebar Mustache War, I think, right? Because that was back when the Cardassians had facial hair and they were they, – they were a little, Yeah, they had helmets and they were, they were a little pinker than normal. Their helmets kind of looked like headgear, like they all, you know, had to get their teeth fixed maybe. I, I don't know. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's oh, – man, it's, it's hard to fault – that episode, um, you guys will have to remind me of the title. The wound, uh, the wounded, the wounded. Thank you. Yeah, um, it's hard to fault the wounded Happy because the class. A- <laughs> <laughs> Because we, I mean, we all love that episode. It's a great, it's this awesome episode, and um, uh, so, so it's but it, it but it feels contrived in that episode. I mean, like if you look at that episode as just one thing, as its own thing. Uh, it, it, it's like, wait a minute, we haven't heard anything of it before. Of course, like if you're looking at Star Trek as a whole, it's like, oh yeah, of course we were dealing with the, the Cardassians before. Of course, like it totally makes sense and it does fit in. But like, if you just watch that episode, it's like, what? Like, and we all, I, know, all know Federation's rule. You never send the flagship to the front line. That is the rule, <laughs> which is why the Enterprise never went there in season one, two, three, <laughs> or, not know. even, not even a mention, not, not even anything, nothing. Uh, well, I mean, we do see, you know, again, we we don't see like a war, war. Maybe it's just the term war that is is kind of strange with the like the Cardassian interaction. Because, I mean, you think of like chain of command. You know, that's commando. You know, going into their territory. You know, dealing with stuff like there's there are quite a few instances where. Uh, you know, we are interacting with them. It's just, but I see what you're saying, Philip, where it's like this whole, oh yeah, we've been at war for like 10, 15 years. And it's like, really? Like, we didn't <laughs> totally. realize that. Well, Nobody uh, told me. <laughs> I didn't get the memo. <laughs> well, you know, what hap- Yeah, what happens if there's a war and no one shows up? Um, famous 60s popper street. Um, but, uh, you know, the Chief O'Brien perspective is sort of the... Um, well, other than well, that's it's not really involving the Federation. I'm blanking on the early Star Trek Next Generation episode about the post uh, PTSD soldiers Vietnam with the secret soldiers that oh, attacked James uh, the, that attacked James Comrell, poor James Comrell the, with a mustache. Um, not anyway, the outrage. other than that, which that didn't really involve the Federation. That was just an internal security planet matter. But anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, with with Chief O'Brien, he sort of gives in the wounded. That what what many combatants um, of the you know real life 
would would experience, you know, would 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 identify with. You know, we we they can't necessarily identify with the Borg, um, or or you know, the, I mean, the Cold War of the Romulans, maybe, you know, kind of, sort of, you know, other, but but like you know, Chief is like, yeah, there was this massacre and there's blood everywhere and there were people dead and that's what I did and I had to kill people and that's it's like, oh, that, that's that sounds like war, and so it's sort of almost like that realist quote unquote war experience is what we get from that episode. Yeah, it's just to me, it's like you can do that a thousand different ways, especially in a in a universe as rich as Star Trek. Like you can be like, oh, there was a miscommunication between this new alien species and it was turned out to be a massacre. Like you don't have to invent retroactively invent a war with a new species that has apparently been going on for years. That's why it just doesn't work for me. I mean, I get what you're saying. And I like I that's why I'm saying, like, I think most people just give it a pass because it's such a solid episode and it deals with really interesting, you know, these really interesting issues. And, uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't hate the Cardis. He just, he just hates what they've turned him into. <laughs> well, the fact that you use the word Cardi, I think really says more than, than yeah. you're, you're letting on. Uh, no, yeah, cause that's interesting because I, I feel like that's almost a, not that Roddenberry had anything to do with the episode per se, but like, that's almost a Roddenberry at Roddenberry esque vision of of post-war trauma uh, if, to use a word um is that you know we would expect o'brien to hate the cardassians and we would totally legit you know understand that like yeah of course he would i mean this might not be right quote unquote but we would understand it but like o'brien's like well i don't hate i mean i recognize what's going on i you know that i should hate them or you know but i i don't but still it, it certainly you know had it was an experience for me um, but then he really does hate them because according to Deep Space Nine, he does. So I guess, you know, whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah. And so, well, I just gotta say, you know, with this war, would you say that it's more paralleled to like the Korean conflict because you end up with like this demilitarized zone, which is kind of similar to, you know, what we end up with between like North and South Korea because yeah, I think the thing about the Cardassians, both in both in TNG and in Deep Space Nine, obviously more so there, but especially in TNG, because I think the wounded, you have sort of contracting characters. Who I'm gonna forget their names. You have not Goldicott, um, his total <laughs> twin brother, which um, Gold is it, is it Mav- Mavek something? Or something? I don't remember. Or mis- um, no, it, that that's not it. But I forget what it is. But I'm sure someone can Google it while I'm talking. Um, but like you have that guy who's sort of a, a middle figure, right? He's he's not he's he's a, a moderate. I don't know if for lack of a better word. And then you have sort of his lieutenant he brings on, who's trying to like steal information, who's obviously you know doesn't mind. Wait. I told you not to plug in your USB drive. <laughs> near their computer. I thought they were I thought they were wireless. Um, you know, who's sort of like the bad Cardassian. And so, so there's sort of that contrast of like, well, there's this treaty. Look at this android. Do you think they have wireless? <laughs> Obviously not. Because, <laughs> no, 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 but it, I'm trying to think. It would be uh, an analogy of where like we're allies with someone we like just fought a war with. So like we have to pretend to be mm. nice. Um and I'm sure there's a million examples I can't think. It doesn't just have to be American, obviously. Um, you know, but but one's where it's like, you know, you were my enemy, but now there's a treaty. Yay, now we're friends. Stuff, things, you know. And so um, it's. I think that's sort of an interesting interplay there with the Cardassians because we're at 
peace with the Cardassians, yet, again, I don't know, you can't call it a Cold War if you're at peace. I mean, I suppose you can't, because um, like, I suppose that's what a Cold War was. We, we did have peace, but we didn't. Because, um, like you said, Chain of Command and all these other subsequent episodes. Um, then you have the Maquis, and then you have all that stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, preemptive strike. You have, you know, it's, it's just it's it's peppered throughout all sorts of things. Like a like an EXO. What, what do you got, Daniel? I, I was just, actually I was I was just gonna say that it's funny that that Darren kind of brought up the Korean War, right? Because it, this is like the forgotten war, right? <laughs> the Federation <laughs> that that nobody like talks about or or brings Unless up. Unless you're ever. watching Mash like, every day, then it's <laughs> well, really, right, right, it's right, really right, apparent. Right. <laughs> it, but it's not, you know, it's like. Let's just not talk about it. It well, happened. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's fine. A great stalemate. Well, it's an inch. I mean, I suppose. I. I mean, I. I. I don't know if it's li- deliberate or not deliberate. I mean, I assume it's deliberate, but maybe it's not. The whole. You know, when we introduce in Ensign Row, when we introduce the Bajorans, and we're like, oh yeah, we were fighting the Cardassians, and we knew they were, you know, subjecting the Bajorans, but you know. We had things to do, you know, and sort of like, ah. The Borg could have showed up any day, and we had uh, priorities. Yeah, I mean, sort of, get, sort of get the whole Holocaust, like, uh, yeah, we knew Hitler was doing stuff to the Jews, but we were things, you know. And you know I, I, don't, I don't even know if this is the best place to bring this up, but I'm going to do it because I've been thinking about this for a while now. Like, there's a lot of comparisons that go around um, of, of the, the, the uh, Romulans and the Cardassians, and for so many reasons, I reject these these uh, these this idea that they're name Anyways. one. What's its name? <laughs> no, <sorry. laughs> but but it's, but what's like? I, I don't know. I just I never, especially in TNG. I guess maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe I have a TNG bias. But like especially in TNG, like you never got the sense, even once it was established who these people were, what they were doing, that they were like a political and a military threat on the same level. Uh, that the Romulans were. It was never like, what are the Cardassians going to do? Who knows? They'll change everything up. It's just like, <laughs> they do their thing, and if you don't mess with them, they won't mess with you. But, you know, it was never like potential of all-out war. Of course, we're, we're talking about this, and and, and we, we've already mentioned that it's, you know, it's a retroactive war anyways, so it's kind of hard to compare it. But uh, it was always seemed kind of... Um, too simplistic for me. I never. I, I don't get the comparison there at I mean, all. I, the only thing I can, and I'm making this up out of out of my whatever. But like, it, I guess it'd be like if Mexico suddenly just started going crazy on the United States. It's like, yeah, I think we can beat them. But it's also like, but they could take over like half of New Mexico, you know, or whatever. But like, in other words, I think that's to me that's the Kardashians more like a regional threat. Like they're just a bunch of Federation planets in that area. And so, like, that was the threat to Earth them. Earth is not threatened by yeah. the Cardassian <laughs> Union, It's but it's the border, yeah. you know, uh, colonies that are threatened. H- hence why there's all those problems along that, right here, just right here between the Federation <laughs> and Cardassian border. For some reason, there's a, there's a, there's a situation over here. <laughs> uh, we'll just have to crank out some more overpowered ships to go deal with I that. I guess. Well, and in, and in some ways, that's a, uh, I always, I don't know, not to turn this into the Maquis episode, because we could probably just do a whole episode of the Maquis, but it, it it, you know what is no! that? Well, there were two episodes about it. In, in, in <laughs> yeah. Well, because I mean, it's to me that the, the the argument of the Maquis has been like, you know, well, you know, whatever, get the Cardassians out of here. But like, that's the price of peace. I mean, I'm, and then they're like, no, we don't care. Like, do you want war? I mean, like, I don't. What are you? 
you know, I'm not saying it's a zero-based solution. I'm not saying there's only one solution, but it's like I can never understand, like, well, we want our home. Okay, well, then they'll go to war, and they're like, so? Well, okay. Yeah, you're right. That is, that's, a, that's a whole topic for another conversation, I think. Cool. All right. Well, th- those are sort of the major ones I could think of. I mean, I, I, you know, there's obviously a lot of times where the Enterprise D&E fired phasers and photon torpedoes. But is there any other enemies or, or any warlike or or even some even the opposite of where we had to go to peace or something out of that I'm not thinking of here? Yeah, I mean, I think in the, the Sheliak are you know that's another like mentioned war where we don't see it at all it's just something that's taken a long you know a long time ago and lots of contracts and and things you know to be dealt with the enterprise you know mediates a lot of wars between like other planets but yeah there's not really a lot with the the i mean are we even at war with the ferengi like literally it's 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 almost just like chance and i mean they're like the monsters that like you come up against in D, like where it's just like oh and a wild ferengi appeared like it's not it's but it's, it's the, not organized the ferengi in the in in their first encounter uh everybody's favorite episode right um uh, uh what's it called yeah post- last outpost the last outpost, the last outpost. which was unfortunately not the last Ferengi episode. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're they're treated kind of also as a, a Romulan type, like, oh, we've never we've never really seen them before, and like, what can they do? Their ship like, is evenly matched with the Enterprise. <laughs> There's <laughs> no. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, it's it, it's it's um, it, man, yeah, it's it's not. I don't know. It, to me. It, it, what, what's a more interesting question to me is is in the Federation, especially as it's established in the next generation, is it's possible, I, I would think, with, with territory so vast and, and interactions so common, that, that at any given point in time, in the timeline, the Federation could be at war with a dozen different worlds or, or, or whatever. Like, we don't, we don't know. It, why is it not possible that somebody just declared war on the Federation? Like, oh, you violated our soils, well, and and then you know what I mean. Like, it, it's it's certainly possible. Well, I think maybe because it's the the Federation's not expanding at the moment. I mean, that's kind of the big difference between like the Kirk era and you well, know but, the but TNG if, area. But well, well, we are by the I time, mean, <laughs> like every well, time, every but, other. Daniel, episode is, it, it takes us about right. seven years to get Bajor to sign on, okay? It takes a while to expand this federation. <laughs> the paperwork well, I don't mean, is I don't mean, crazy. I don't mean, like, I yeah, I don't mean aggressively expand, <laughs> but we're going to new worlds all the time, and presumably it would not be difficult and to offend the them flag. in such a way. Yeah. <laughs> no flag, no country. <laughs> well, it, it, rem- it reminds um, me of a line from, of course, everyone's favorite movie, Insurrection. But, like, it, it's um, from... Um, Puddles, whatever his name is, um, who's like, you know. Puddles? It, you know, the bad guy in that one. Waffles? Yes, waffles. Oh, waffles. Waffles. Yeah. Waffles is what you're talking That's about. That's right. We're awful. We're awful. Um, like that. It, does, it, does, it doesn't even need a name. It's not important. Um, and But he says something. I don't know if he's talking to the Admiral or Picardo, but it's like, you know, the Dominion, the Borg, the yeah. Federation has been challenged by every the- power, you know, and you're a dying institution. Yeah, he's the smell of death is on the Federation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's he's talking to the bad the bad world. Mm. Like imagine, uh, like think of um, think of um, 
Oh God! Why am I so bad at episode titles? <laughs> no, think of the the first Dixon Hill episode, the season one. You mean the big goodbye? The big goodbye. Thank you. Um, and remember, the B plot in that story is that Picard has to talk to this insectoid race, and if he gets like if he like mispronounces one little thing, the insectoids will attack. Exactly, they're going to take super great offense to it, and oh, and then okay, now this is leading me to another thing. Imagine conspiracy, where we're t- I, I imagine the I imagine that the, the, wait wait the, not the all insectoid races are the same, Daniel. I mean, that's <laughs> all the species. That's kind of buggest. The Federation is probably technically at war with that race, but you know we don't think about it, and we don't. It's just not anything that we see. But I imagine there's lots of situations like that where it's like. Well, we kind of screwed you guys over, and you hate us, and you would attack us if you had near the strength that we did. You know, it, it reminds, I know, in TOS, it reminds me of Trouble with the Tribbles, where... Well, we have War with the no, Tribbles? Uh, yeah, the Great Tribble War. You never heard this, the great songs they sung? <laughs> the Great Tribble Do Hunt. Do they still sing songs <laughs> of the Great Tribble Hunt? Um, it's <laughs> Koloth, right, in that episode? Koloth? Like I always have. It's yeah. like, uh, Klingons is like Daniel's cue. Um, but Koloth... Where it's like, my dear Captain Kirk, there's been no formal declaration of war among our people, you know. And, like, to me, you know, that's sort of like with this definition of TNG, like, you know, it which reminds me of the modern era here in at least America. But, like, you know, there's no formal declaration of war, you know, anymore. But, like, we certainly kill people and go places to do it, you know. <laughs> which is funny because I don't remember the name of the episode, but the one where they... Klingons and the Federation both occupy a planet, and then the planet people are just like, yeah, we basically just like used our mind powers, and now no oh, one is able yeah, to the fight Organians. in um, the entire galaxy. Yeah. And it's like, I think there'd probably been a declaration of war by that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, and I'll, I'll sort of end here with this question, which isn't necessarily a five-second answer. Maybe it is. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of people talk about like, oh, you know, if you look at Deep Space Nine and Enterprise, there's you know a little bit more modern. They have this war, this conflict, and that makes it more interesting. It creates more serial stories, and so the fact that TNG didn't have this continuous war with another species did that mean that we lost something? At, from the next generation, or or was were we about something different, or or what would be your thoughts on that? I want to start like a Tumblr blog now that's like called Conflict in TNG, and like just go through every single episode and like look. Here's where we had conflict with this species. Look, here's something we mentioned in a previous episode. Because <laughs> yeah, I do feel. I mean, it, it's yes, DS Nine was you know, more anthology based and, you know, the way of television and stories being told was different. And I think that's great, but I don't think we lost anything because TNG didn't have this overarching war or even overarching, you know, master plot. I mean, it's not Babylon five. It's, you know, it's, it's a Star Trek show where the enterprise goes and meets the alien of the, you know, the forehead of the week. And we learned something about ourselves at the end. Like that's what it was. And that's all it needed to be. So Daniel, am I putting you down for great war or greatest war? <laughs> this is, this is the war to end all wars, I think. Uh, but no, no, I mean, I, I agree with, I agree with Darren, like, and especially Philip, like, as you were mentioning, we don't, we nowadays here in America, right? We don't declare war with people anymore. It's 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 more complicated than that. And there's there's more 
variables and there's more things going on and, and, and whether you agree with it or not, it's just it's it's global politics, right? And that's what it is. We live in a global world and it's it's much more complicated than than maybe I don't know if complicated is the right word. I feel like that's kind of, you know, diluting history in, in, in a way that I'm probably not prepared to do. But it, but it is, it's, it, it's, it, there is a level of, of that. It's heavy. Heavy, you're right. And is I think, something wrong I with gravity in the future? <laughs> uh, I don't think TNG suffers from not having that, uh, an actual declared war. I, I think there's a really interesting you know, kind of storyline in the Klingons, in the Romulans, in the Borg. They they all deal with war-type issues anyways. So it's not like we have to have this sort of, we, you know, Deep Space Nine did something different than TNG, and that's good. I like that. I like that they did that. And I really like Deep Space Nine for that, but it doesn't mean that TNG also had to do that thing. They did their own thing, and they established this universe in a way that was interesting and kind of built on itself. And then that that allowed them to go to their own little corner of it and deal with you know Bajor, wh- wh- which nobody cares about. And I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, but no, but it, seriously, I'm like that's I think that's interesting and and it's it's cool that they did that. But it, without that solid foundation of this kind of universe, where all of these different powers interact constantly and the, and there's all of these different factors happening. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be near as rich. It wouldn't. It wouldn't have the history or, or the the backstory of, of what makes it, uh, you know, interesting and layered and and complicated. So it, I I appreciate TNG for for the fact that it did that. And I don't think maybe people see that when they when they go back on TNG and they they see, oh, it's, like you said, Darren, it's just the forehead of the week. No, they 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 built, they world built and they built this universe and. Uh, there's a lot of complexity to it if you really dig into it, especially if you, especially if you compare it to you know early '90s, late '80s kind of world world history. I'm I'm also stuck on the fact that can we rationalize that the insectoids and the big goodbye are actually Zendi? Actually, nothing. That would be fun. <laughs> oh, okay, they, all right. They broke I can away, get and 200 years later, they're in their own. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, because one thing that strikes me, and, and I know I'm about to say something, and just be like, oh, Phil's just smack talking, but no, I don't mean to, but like. And when you think sci-fi, almost every property you can probably name involves a war, like every one. And so, I mean, to me, the one thing I, I like about Next Generation is, like, it doesn't have that. You know, I mean, you know, it does, as we just talked about and spent, like, 45 minutes talking about. But, like, it doesn't have this direct, like, it's the Cylons. It's the Shadows. Right. It's the Empire. It's the you know, it's, you know, whatever. You know, we have enemies, but it's like, you know, we're doing other stuff every other day. Hey, the Empire is not the good guy. You know, not the not the bad guys. Don't listen to that rebel propaganda. <laughs> propaganda. Um, <laughs> but one thing that, that TNG strikes me, as I know they don't do it every episode. I'm not trying to say that. But, like... Th- there's a very to me and i may be reading too much into it because that's what i do but like there's this threat of war there's this worry about war mm. um we've had peace we don't want to yeah lose i mean it. that's picard is always pushing the diplomatic solution because you almost feel and like i said that's why the defector really gets to me and even the borg you know when he tours the ship in best of both worlds part one and you know with guinan and he's like you know it's a tradition to tour the ship before the battle and guinan's like a losing battle if i remember correctly um you know but you get that s- i was there when mark twain wrote that anecdote <laughs> but, but but you get that oh. sense of picard that he 
I mean, if you really want to really read into it, he lived like through several wars. You know, I mean, you know, because he's like a million years old. Um, but no, like he's like, he's like <laughs> eighty years old. Um, you know, he's probably seen all these different wars, the Cardassian War, and everything else. And you, I get the sense from it, at least that it's very heavy and it's very heavy on his shoulders. That I will do anything to prevent war. Yet at the same time. If I have to act in defense of the Federation, I will. It's been interesting talking about war in the next generation today, but this is just one of the many Trek topics we've been talking about here on the network this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on Trek.fm. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And I think it was a very anticlimactic thing for a lot of people because they were expecting me to to do you know my raw and ranting thing but instead i just was like oh that's depressing okay bye earl gray they've now shifted into the biff controlled 1985 who got a hold of the almanac in order to turn yesterday's enterprise the enterprise c is the delorean in this scenario the orb i'd like to see the borg assimilate Ferenginar. And then they would become bankers. You know, I could see... Oh my gosh, I could see drones. Yeah, yeah. The the world's (laughs) strictest bank ever. (laughs) I'm sorry, you have not paid your loan. You will be assimilated. (laughs) The nanites go into... (laughs) Yes! To the journey! I... I want something with a little bit more teeth. For some okay. reason, like like starting a garden just doesn't scream mirror universe to me. <laughs> starting a garden doesn't have teeth. <laughs> the ready room. I hate to put it this way, but maybe in, in some strange, twisted logical sense, if Archer just kind of flew on by and didn't help the colonists, the Enterprise D would have never crash landed on Viridian. So it's not Troy's fault; it's Captain Archer's fault. Literary tricks. This is this is something that doesn't get done a lot in books because I don't think the time period's supposed to be that long. Mm-hmm. But what did you end up thinking about having a story take place before where no man's gone before? Well, I thought personally that it was really cool. The 602 Club. My two favorite scenes in the film are Cap saying language <laughs> and then the rest of what the jokes that go with that and then Cap moving the hammer just enough then Thor's face when he can't pick it up is priceless. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows to get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find them in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zoom. Visit the Trek.fm website for the full Trek experience. You can view our podcast directory to stream the audio from all of our shows. If you would like to contact us, just go to trek.fm slash contact. From there, choose Message to a Trek FM Show and select Earl Grey. These messages will be relayed by Starfleet to the three of us. In social media, you'll find us on facebook.com slash trek.fm or join our Facebook listener discussion group called The Babel Conference. Find it by searching The Babel Conference on Facebook. Now let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor this week, audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. This is the premier source for audiobooks, with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Now, as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today. 
Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Earl Grey and Trek FM. There's one more way you can directly help us to keep Earl Grey coming to you each and every week, and that's through becoming a patron of Trek FM. By visiting patreon.com slash trekfm, you can choose among various pledge levels and receive rewards for becoming a Trek FM patron. These rewards let you inside the observation lounge of our network and make it possible for us to distribute all our great content. So please become a patron and visit patreon.com slash trekfm today. All right, guys. Um, uh, I've been talking with Data, and he's having trouble um, uh, downloading files from the ship because there's this huge buffer of files that I've managed to extract, and it's all the messages we've been receiving. Now, I mean, you know, to, to our listeners, we actually we read everything that we get and we talk about among ourselves. We just are typically lazy and, and reading it out loud here on the podcast, which is fine. But we we do care, so feel feel, feel free to keep sending it to us. Um, so uh, this one is from Ian K, and he said that. He's catched, caught up on our podcast, and that his favorite one is the one with beige, which cannot be topped. Um, but he said, <laughs> then you had pad news. They're back. And then we had the whole TNG was all in Picard's head, and that was brilliant. And so we're just rocking his socks off each and every week here on Earl Grey. And this next one is from Drew R. And he talks about the fact that uh, one thing that, that he likes to look at when he's watching his Star Trek episodes, whether it's Enterprise or Voyager or even The Next Generation, is seeing whether any of the episodes have the same writers and directors and, you know, whether there's been any, uh, you know, commonalities between what what they contribute into their episodes. And I'll admit, I, I'm pretty lazy when, when it comes to, like, oh, this is one that was written by... Brandon, or this one was written by Ron, or I don't know, because I, I really don't pay attention. But that's actually a good, good thing, and um, I'll have to start paying more attention and kind of seeing what what the uh, commonalities are. So if anyone feels like any uh, they have any thesis about what all the writers, you know, how can you tell a Michael Pillar episode, you know, feel free to let us know. Um, this next one is an international one, which I'm sorry we were so jingoistic and American in this episode, but we're just three Americans. We apologize. Um, we were, we we're very interested in the global perspective. Um, this one is from Claire W. from Australia. And she said that she only recently discovered our very first episode, A Little Imzadi Relationship. And um, she uh, watched the TOS reruns in the 70s, or repeats, as she calls them. And um, she's discovered TNG, and, and now her daughter is now a Star Trek uh, addict with the JJ shows. And just loves how much that Star Trek can be a teaching experience. And that even though she's a niner at heart, she recognizes that TNG as a whole captures most faithfully the Trek verse that Roddenberry originally conceived. That's a quote. I'm not just saying that. Um, and so <laughs> we, we appreciate uh, that from Claire. And then one last um, from the space mailbag is... I lost my spot. Sorry. Oh, here it is. Okay. I got it. And one last one from the spa- space mailbag is from Jonathan T., and he went all the way back to episode 58. I always love when people go back in time. Um, and he said that in the Star Trek The Next Generation Officer's Manual, which I'm going to admit I am not familiar with. I'm going to have to look this up. But in the Star Trek The Next Generation's Officer's Manual, there's a mention of Federation credits. 
and that 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 maybe there is that this book mentions pay for officers, though he does agree that it's probably not a physical form of currency in the Federation. And so um, I think much like um, being a co-host on Trek.fm, Star Trek does not have any visible form of currency. So, Daniel, if people want to talk to you about the Romulan version of the Federation Romulan Cold War, though I'm sure they call it the Romulan Federation Cold War, where can they reach you on the Internet? Uh, they can find me uh, at one up Dan on Twitter, and that is the number one, not the word. And Darren, if folks want to talk to you about all the other great songs that came from war, where can they reach you on the internet? Oh, my new uh, SoundCloud profile. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, on Twitter, under username Doctor Sci-Fi. That's D R S C I F I. And if folks want to find out for me where's the best restaurant inside the neutral zone they can contact me on twitter and that's at nc public servant that's nc for north carolina well guys after talking about war this much um i think i'm going to take a trip on the enterprise you wouldn't believe it but there's a whole lot of conflict out there and we have a whole bunch of diplomats to take places so who knows where we'll be going so until then make it so engage live long and prosper Fire.